Suffolk Free Radio, Boston Radio, the views and opinions expressed on A House Divided are the views and opinions of the on-air personalities only. These views do not reflect those of Suffolk University, Suffolk Free Radio, or those at the Student Leadership and Involvement Office. Welcome back to A House Divided. After our long winter break, we are back for another episode. Now, a mainly podcast-focused show, but we're still going to do a little bit of live stuff as well, uh, because that's unfortunately what the setup of this studio is. So, my name is Nick Samarco, as always, and joining us live from Madrid, Spain, via Discord, is Matthew Lewis. Matt, how are you doing today? Oh, I just called it to be spectacular. You're doing spectacular. <laughs> That's very good to hear. Oh uh, yeah. So Matt, uh, it's uh, it's um almost dinner time here. Yeah, it's six hours ahead, right? Yes, and we eat dinner at at eight to ten p.m. Wow. In yeah. Madrid, that's when they that's so this 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 dorm room has a is a dining hall where they it's not like Suffolk where we leave it open. You just kind of show up and get food whenever you want. They have specific hours. Dinner doesn't start till eight. <laughs> that is a culture shock. It's yeah. a culture shock for sure. I mean, that means you're not getting to bed until like eleven by the time your food digests. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, as always, we have a jam-packed slate of topics to discuss. We are going to talk about the situation in Iran. We're going to tackle the Academy Awards picks. We're going to uh, hedge our bets here and. Um, you know, we didn't see most of these movies, but I get—I—I I think we can pretty much assume who's going to win each category just based on how woke they are. Um, we're going to talk about Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes. I'm going to cut some audio during the break so that we can get you that. Um, we're going to talk about the state of conservatism. A really interesting article that I read over the break at the Atlantic, and I did a little bit of thinking um, about what the answer to the, what the state of conservatism is. A very disturbing poll from. Uh, uh, Market Watch, I believe, that shows that more than a third of millennials approve of communism. And we're going to debut a new segment called What You're Looking At, where we talk about what we read, watched, or listened to over this weekend. Heads up, everyone, we have changed our times. We are no longer um, doing a two hour show on Fridays. We have switched to um, Tuesdays and Thursdays if you want to listen to us live. Uh, although we, you know, uh, we do like the podcast more. We're live from 1.45 to 2.45 on Tuesdays. And uh, from 12.30 to 1.30 on Thursdays. And we all, as always, will be releasing these episodes um, to your favorite podcast app. So, um, Matt, let's get right into it. So, in Iran this past week, um, President Trump did something quite bold. He took out the leader of the elite Iranian Quds Force, basically their terror arm. Um, Let's have the president himself explain what happened. This is a speech to the nation. As long as I'm president of the United States, Iran will never be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. Good morning. I'm pleased to inform you the American people should be extremely grateful and happy. No Americans were harmed in last night's attack by the Iranian regime. We suffered no casualties. All of our soldiers are safe 
and only minimal damage was sustained at our military bases. Our great American forces are prepared for anything. Iran appears to be standing down, which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world. So as President Trump detailed in his speech to the nation after uh, announcing that the United States had taken out um, top Iranian general Qasem Soleimani, no Americans were harmed in Iran's retaliatory strike on U.S. Um, base, U.S. Uh, on Iraqi bases where U.S. troops were stationed. Not a single American was harmed. Um, Matt, I want your take first on the, you know, this whole thing was led up by the Iranian regime really getting aggressive, targeting American assets in the Middle East, and um, specifically our embassy in Iraq sending people to try and burn it down to the ground kidnap and kill the people inside of it. That was their goal. There's no doubt about it. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts on the specific strike, and I want to get into the long-term kind of outlook on what this means for the region and what this means for our United States relations. Oh, so this is... this is The main thing is the people freaking out about this. They're all dumb. Like, this is the dumbest thing to freak out over ever because this is a short-term win and a long-term win. Iran has been funding terrorism for years, for years and years and years. And this guy has probably been responsible for um, hundreds of American deaths. And and so taking him out is a huge win for the United States. Um, and Iran has backed down. They launched some missiles at us, didn't really kill, they didn't kill anyone. I don't even think they, did they even injure any Americans? Not a single American did. was injured in the retaliatory strike. Yeah, and so they said, oh, uh, well, we're only going to escalate this if Trump escalates it. And it's like, okay. And then Trump was like, well, they've obviously, you know, they played their card, which was to um, kind of pretend to retaliate, but not really retaliate. Because if they did really want to retaliate, they would actually attack America in a more meaningful way that would provoke a response from us. But they knew that they could use that missile strike for themselves to say that, hey, you know, we we pushed them back and then, you know, they can use that for their people, but they knew it wouldn't actually provoke a response from the United States. Um, so it kind of, it allows them to back off and it allows us to claim a victory there. Well, you know, I'm, I, I agree that it was the right move to do, taking out Soleimani, uh, and it was the absolute best option that Trump had to reestablish deterrence against the Iranians that had been completely eviscerated by the previous administration. Um, and I think, you know, in Trump's address to the nation, he touched on multiple times that the JCPOA, the Iran deal, as it's more colloquial, colloquially known uh, as, is is dead. Um, it was a colossal failure, and it did nothing to stop Iran's ambitions to, of getting nuclear weapons. Um, but I'm curious as to what you think this does for the long term. It's a great thing that this guy is dead in the short term. But I wonder, do you think Trump actually has a strategy for dealing with Iran um, in the near in the in, in in the long term, say, you know, five years from now, if he gets a second term? And what do you think that strategy should really be? Are we looking to eventually overthrow the Iranian regime? Are we looking to just contain them like we did the Soviet Union? W what do you think? I'll, I'll give my take afterwards. Um, I think we should make it some kind of attempt to 
kind of attrition or or kind of force the Iranian regime to atrophy in a way we're seeing the protests right now uh, the Iranian people are protesting um, again as they do so often their own regime and I think that unlike Obama Trump needs to um, to support those protesters um, in a meaningful way and not just um, not just sit back and, and kind of let it fizzle out like Obama did because they, they had very similar protests under Barack Obama. Yeah, but what are we, so what are it, we to do about the fact that Iran wants to get nuclear weapons? Are, are, are we basically in a scenario where we are eventually going to go to war? Um, or do you see any way out uh, in terms of you know diplomacy, compromise with this regime? Um, I don't see any way to compromise with this regime because whatever we do, they will go behind our backs and continue to develop nuclear weapons because they are evil. But I think that I don't know if there's going to be a war. And I don't think that Trump will allow them to get nuclear weapons um, because there are tactical military strikes that we can do. Um, that are short of not actually starting a war, but would keep them. You know, there are things we can do to keep them in check. I don't know what those things are. I'm not a foreign policy expert, but like I know that there are ways that the president can handle this that aren't, um, you know, that are short of war, but are not, you know, maybe some, you know, more diplomatic things. But see, I, I just, don't think we're going to allow them to get nuclear weapons. I don't think. <sighs> I was reading a very interesting column from 2015, I want to say, 2015, 2016. Um, I think it was written by George, I think it was written by George Will. I stumbled upon it, um, just trying to do some background information on this topic. And basically, he, his point was, I, he doesn't think that we are ever going to successfully deter the Iranians from getting, not deter, but stop the Iranians from getting a nuclear weapon. And the only choices available are to go to war or to work out some type of diplomacy um, in terms of containment, meaning like what we did with the Soviet Union, where we where we basically allow them to have nuclear weapons, um, but work to keep the relationship between the United States and the Soviet Union good enough to the point where we never felt the need to deploy them and they never felt the need, the need to deploy them either. So right. I, I'd like to see more pressure, like you said, put on the current regime that's in charge. Um, I worry, though, if we get rid of that regime, what is going to fill their place? Is it going to be, you know, Iranians that want to join the the League of Nations, um, you know, the developed countries, not the defunct institution? Um, are they going to want, you know, to moderate their Islamism? Or are they going to be just like what happened in Iraq where we leave and it's filled by radical terrorists. That's a, that's a very open question right now. And I don't know if Trump really has an answer to that question. And he has to, he, he, he needs to start thinking about it because that strike against Soleimani is extremely significant for the Iranians. So what are your thoughts on that? No, he definitely needs to, he definitely needs to think to think about it and do something. Moreover, I mean, because just sitting around and thinking isn't gonna 
do a whole lot if we just sit here and sit on our hands. Right. Well, I mean, I develop that, a long-term policy. Like what yeah, I what I'm no, afraid I, I, of. What I'm afraid of is that this is just like what happened in Syria, where he shoots, where the the Syrians bomb their own civilians with um with gas, and then instead of developing a long-term strategy to get you know the, to get Assad out of power to stabilize the region, he bombs an airfield and then a couple months later leaves the region. You know what I mean? Right. No, I, I do know what you mean. I think I think again it comes down to these protests and these and the, there are a lot of liberals um in the in the um true sense of the word in Iran. There are a lot of people in Iran who want to liberalize that country and it comes down to helping them remove the current people in power and take that power for themselves. Um I don't know what that strategy looks like, but you know, you need to do something where those people can gain the power and make sure that they're the ones in power and not just some, you know, ISIS type right. of organization or some another another radical extremist group like the current the current regime. Right. I mean, I think it's a I think it's a harsh reality that we need to accept, but we're going to need to work, you know, uh Trump has taken steps to do this already, but we're going to need to work a lot closer with the Saudis um, because we only have two options when it comes to Iran, war or try work out some diplomatic option. And we need to be pursuing more options than that. And one of the ways that we can do that... I think there's a third option. What is it? The third option, and that's called the CIA. (laughs) We tried that once, though. (laughs) Look what happened the first time we tried that in Iran. I mean, Very true. that's the what we have now is a direct outgrowth of, you know, some of those American-led efforts, good in intentions, but maybe bad in practice. Um, I think right. I think what a good idea might be to do would be to make the Saudis even more powerful than they are right now. I'm not saying give them nuclear weapons, but it's it's quite concerning to think of a Middle East where the only power you know, substantial power in the regions. The only substantial powers in the region militarily are Pakistan and Iran. That's that doesn't bode well for the United and States. And Israel. They're they're not a major power. I would also say Israel is a military power in the region. I mean, they have nuclear weapons, but is you have to realize Israel is a tiny, tiny 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 country. And right. when when you go when you talk about like regional war, Egypt has been very successful. Uh, Egypt has been very successful. Israel's been very successful expelling their neighbors, Egypt, Jordan, fighting them. But I don't think that a nuclear armed, you know, Iran versus a nuclear armed Israel is going to bode well for Israel. They don't even have enough airplanes right now to go and attack um, Iran to a point where it would be enough to uh, stop their nuclear weapons program. So I I, I worry just about the long-term implications because now, I mean, that that whole strike brings that to my mind is what the heck are we doing in the region? We just pulled out of Syria. We're looking to get, we're looking to pull out of Iraq. Is this a terrible miscalculation um, to to pull out? And who's going to fill the void? Are we emboldening Iran? are we helping to curtail them? It's those are questions that people way smarter than you and I are going to have to answer. Right. So Matt, why don't you pull up this list here of uh, Oscar nominations? We're going to go over okay. the picks. Are we, we're doing Ricky Gervais after. Yeah, we're going to do Ricky Gervais after the break. Uh, I still have to kind okay, of right. for that. So, um, 
if you pull up the list right now, can you find the Best Picture Award winners here? Uh, nominations. By the way, the film that led with the um, with the uh, uh, most nominations. Do you know which one it was? I do not. Joker came in with the, the most Joker. Oscar nominations at eleven. The most ever for any superhero movie. Um, wow. Well, so, it's because it wasn't a superhero movie. Correct. Like it was. It, it was, but it wasn't. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was a really good movie. I don't know if it's. Uh, if it's, um, best picture award winning worthy. So, let's see here. Did, did you find it yet? It's quite confusing. Uh, I, I'm on the list right now. What do we? What do we want to look at? What category? Best picture, please. Best picture. Okay. Yeah. Um. There was an interest. There, there's a intri- kind of an intriguing list. There's less. Uh, there's less woke. Less woke, um, like politically oriented movies, and more um, almost kind of indie films nominated this year. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of independent films like Netflix um, t- absolutely crushed uh, in the. Um, in the in the best picture nominations and um, in a couple of the best actors, I've I've the best actor right. award nominees here. Do you want me to go with those, or do you have the best okay. picture ones? I have best picture up right now. All right, let's do those. What you got? Okay, all right. So we have Ford vs Ferrari, um, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, Nineteen Seventeen, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Um, so I've seen I've so seen be, Joker, The Irishman, and um, 1917. Which ones of those have you seen? Okay, I have seen uh, Joker, and yeah, just Joker. I've only seen Joker. So, um, and I can I can tell you, no one has seen Little Women. <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you, I can tell you a very small amount of. I've heard from like two people who actually saw Parasite that it was good, but I don't know many people who actually saw that. So, for those of you that don't know, I looked up the IMDb, well, the IMDb or Wikipedia, whatever it is, description of Little Women. Uh, in the years after the Civil War, Joe March lives in New York and makes her living as a writer. While her sister Amy studies painting in Paris, Amy has a chance encounter with Theodore, a childhood crush who proposed to Joe but was ultimately rejected. Their oldest sibler, sibling, Meg, Meg, is married to a school teacher. While, si- while shy sister Beth develops a devastating illness that brings the family back together. So that's just a cry movie, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's a trick flick. Yeah, it's a, well, yeah. I guess I think Emma Watson's in it. Yeah, Emma Watson's in I it. I don't. Um, okay, her, I don't know. Hermione. I, I honestly, I don't see a lot of movies anyway. Um, to be honest with you, so like I again, as ex- exemplified by that, I've only seen jo- Joker. <laughs> I do not watch many movies. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a bold pick here. The award winner at the Oscars this year for Best Picture will be JoJo. Rabbit, all right. This movie only took home twenty-seven million dollars. It was a fourteen million dollar budget. But here's the synopsis. Oh, so no one's seen Jojo Rabbit either. Exactly. But There's here's no here's the synopsis. Ready? Jojo is a lonely German boy who discovers that his single mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their attic. In their attic, aided only by his imaginary friend Adolf Hitler, Jojo must confront his blind nationalism as World War II rages continues to rage on. 
So I, I think of of these nominated movies, this one's the most woke, and Joker's almost too um, cynical of elites to get the nod. So I'm picking Jojo Rabbit, and the winning the the person who goes up to accept the award will compare Trump to Hitler on national television. I agree with you um, 100%. <laughs> but I also think, like, if they don't go with the woke pick, um, I think that... I Didn't 1917 win it at the Golden Globes? Um, no, Joker won it. No, no, 1917 won Best Picture. At the Golden... No, I thought... I know... Um, um, what's his face? Um, let me look it up. Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix won Best Actor. But, um, Golden the Golden Globes are kind of the pre the pre Oscars, um, which you know doesn't make sense to me. Like, yeah, nine, wow, nineteen seventeen did win Best Picture at the Golden Globes. Okay. Yeah, so I think nineteen seventeen is going to win it just because of all the the, the critical praise it's gotten. Where right? you know I've heard praise for Jojo Rabbit, but I actually do think nineteen seventeen will get it. But Matt, um, Matt, although do you know what do you know what yeah. won at the Golden Globes last year for Best Picture? Bohemian Rhapsody. What? The that's Queen, an awful film. That's a terribly made film, and I love Queen. <laughs> so, I I mean, I th- would hope 1917 wins it because I think that's the best picture of the year. I, I saw it in theaters last weekend, and I was absolutely blown away. Highly recommend it to anybody who, you know, it's not it's not a war movie. It's a story about the brave sacrifice of young men um, in perilous times. So I, I my pick is for... 1917 personally i think it's going to go to jojo rabbit what about yourself um i think personally it's going to go to 1917 as well even though i haven't seen it the what i've heard i also am a sucker for war movies um so i do want to see it and i'm planning on finding an english language movie theater here uh, (laughs) or like an original language movie theater here um to see this film um and i do plan on seeing it although you know i do wish that star wars had got the nod for a nomination here oh come on Stop it. Star Wars. Stop it's it. Great, great. It's, it's a fun film. It's a fan it's a service film. film. It's a fan service film. Like you loved it because yeah, it you love Star it Wars. It's not a mo- it's not a good movie. It's a good movie for fans. Yeah, it, that's yeah, that's all I could have ever asked for. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So best actor. We'll go through best actor and then we'll call it because there's not a lot of competition in the other categories. Um best really? actor, Jonathan Price in the two popes. He played um Pope, Pope Francis. Pope Francis. Uh, Adam Driver in Marriage Story. That was on Netflix. Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory. I did not see that movie. Joaquin Phoenix in Joker. And Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have a controversial pick here, um, but I want to hear your I want to hear your um your ideas first. Okay. Um so I've actually I have heard of all of these movies except for Pain and Glory. I have no idea what Pain and Glory is. It's probably terrible. Um, so, okay. Next. Um, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was supposed to be good. My parents saw it and they liked it. I saw it. Um, I thought I it was fantastic. I, I, I really, I okay. really, really liked that movie and I thought it was beautifully shot. Too. I I very much like Quentin Tarantino movies, um, uh, even though I've only seen uh, a couple of them. But I do very much like them. Again, I don't watch that many movies. Um, but Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, he doesn't deserve an Oscar for anything. really and no and that's just because um uh that's just because he doesn't win oscars that much and uh yeah i don't know i just i i think that he's kind of an overrated actor so who's your he does good who do you want who do you think should win 
I think so. I have a little bit of a controversial pick. I think Jonathan Price should win. Okay. Um, because I saw the two popes. Uh, it was you know it was a pretty good movie. There were some inaccuracies about it, like you know. But overall, like the acting though, the acting in that movie was spectacular. See, either Jonathan Price or Joaquin Phoenix will win. I, I think. think I think Joaquin Phoenix has got it in the bag. Um, yeah, I'm gonna disagree with you. I thought that Jonathan Price and the two popes was really kind of stilted and it wasn't his fault that he was he was stilted i think there was a, a lot of bad dialogue um written that movie it seemed really disjointed at times um although i think he mm. really really did a good job with what he had i don't think that deserves best actor i am gonna go out on oh, a limb. i thought it was really good I, i'm gonna go out with a little hot take and say that leonardo dicaprio should win this win win this award um, his hmm. performance in the, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was stunning. He basically played a washed up um, Western actor, so somebody who like he he used to be in all the westerns and was like the lead cowboy honcho, and he 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 got old and basically got thrown out of Hollywood. Um, and the way that he was able to transform from an A list actor like he is, he'll never have a problem getting work, into a character who is really struggling with his identity as an actor and um, really struggling to gain some sort of self confidence, I thought was kind of what the essence of acting is. Um, I'm not ripping on Walking Phoenix. I'd say that his, his performance in Joker was just. Um, just a hair uh, less good. Not that it was bad than Leonardo DiCaprio. I think when you're playing a character such as the Joker, um, you can either do it really, really well or do it really, right. really bad. And Joaquin Phoenix did it really, really well, but is that down to his acting ability or to his writing ability or, or to the writer's ability? I think it's a combination of both. No, I mean, that's also partially act. I think it's acting. Because you can write a really good Joker, but like if you say you have all of the same writing as you do in the Dark Knight uh, uh, trilogy with um, I don't remember the name of the second movie. Was it just the Dark Knight or yeah, Batman the Dark Knight? I think yeah, Batman the Dark Knight, right? Because Batman begins, Batman the Dark Knight, Batman the Dark Knight rises. So Dark Knight, um, if you don't have Heath Ledger in that role, even with the same writing, it's just not as good. Okay. It's just not as good. Like, and yeah, Suicide Squad was a bad movie, but Jared Leto didn't do any favors to the Joker. Oh no, he I've, stunk. Uh, from, from, he stunk. From what I, I've seen, I saw some guy. I saw. I saw some guy break everything down online. It was so funny how bad it was. All right, so we're gonna go to a quick break here. Coming up, we're gonna get uh, Ricky Gervais's take on the Golden Globes. And on top of that, we are going to discuss the state of conservatism. Uh, what? What what are we going to do about the future of conservatism? Why do millennials love communism? And we're going to debut our new segment, What You're Looking At. So, Matt, find something that you read this week, and uh, we'll talk about it. So stay tuned. All right, welcome back to a second half of this Tuesday's House Divided. We're going to start off with a little bit of Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes. He had quite the monologue there. Um, a masterclass, an absolute masterclass. Some would call it a masterclass. <laughs> it was uh, it was quite the roast. Um, 
So here we go with Ricky Gervais. I'm going to pause this clip uh, multiple times in the middle. So here we go. Hello and welcome to the 77th Annual Golden Globe Awards, live from the Beverly Hilton Hotel here in Los Angeles. I'm Ricky Gervais. Thank you. You'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting these awards, so I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking. And he didn't care. <laughs> this was uh, this was quite the roast. So here we go. I never did. Let's go out with a bang. Let's have a laugh at your expense, shall we? Remember, they're just jokes. Did they remember that they were just jokes? Um, no, they did not. We're all going to die soon, and there's no sequel. I came here in a limo tonight, and the license plate was made by Felicity Huffman. So, no. Shush. It's a, it's a Tom Hanks' mouth dropped wide open okay. at that joke. That must be the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to her. And her dad was in Wild Hogs. No one cares about movies anymore. No one goes to the cinema. No one really watches network TV. Everyone's watching Netflix. This show should just be me coming out going, well done, Netflix, you win everything. Good night. You could binge watch the entire first season of Afterlife instead of watching this show. Spoiler alert, um, season two is on the way. So in the end, he obviously didn't kill himself. Just like Jeffrey Epstein. Shut he up. He just made an Epstein joke, Matthew. I know he's your friend, but I don't care. Yes. It was a big year for paedophile movies. Um, surviving R. Kelly, Leaving Neverland, Two Popes. Nice little cheap shot Shut at the up. Pope. Shut <laughs> up. I don't care. I don't care. The Irishman was amazing. Long, but amazing. Um, it wasn't the only epic movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, nearly three hours long. Leonardo DiCaprio attended the premiere, and by the end, his date was too old for him. So, DiCaprio eight 17-year-old girls. Many talented people of colour were stubbed <laughs> in major categories. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that. The Hollywood foreign press are all very, very racist. <laughs> so we were going to do an in-memoriam this year, but when I saw the list of people that had died, it wasn't diverse enough. It just, no. Apple roared into the, the TV game with a morning show. A superb Here's drama. Here's the crux yeah. of the issue right here. A superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing made by a company that runs sweatshops in China. So, well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent. If you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your god. And All right. Thank you to the Washington Post for so, supplying that wonderful clip of Ricky Gervais. Uh, Matt, I want to get... Your opinion first on the um, speech in its entirety and specifically the ending uh, where he says that you have less education than Greta Thunberg, so don't lecture the American people on uh, morality. Um, so first off, I have a question. The Washington Post put together that clip? Yes, they did. That is shocking. Absolutely oh shocking. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think that that it was probably one of the best things that I saw over break. I watched it when I was still at home. Uh, Did you watch it live? With my, with my family. And it was it was uh, quite, quite entertaining. It was um, probably one of the best things 
uh, that happened over break. <laughs> it, it was uh, it was a lot of fun to 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 see that clip. But he's right. I mean, these people—they're actors. They're not, you know, climate experts. They're not foreign policy experts. They have no leg to stand on when it comes to lecturing the American people on what the right thing to do politically is. Um, right. Th- and then immediately after this speech. Michelle Williams, who dropped out of school one year before Greta Thunberg did at the age of 15 years old, got up and lectured people on the importance of having the right to choose, which she said is the only way that she could have won a Golden Globe. So is it I'm sorry, Michelle Williams. Is it worth killing your unborn child so you can hold this tiny trophy in your hands? Uh, It's just just sickening. And that really revealed immediately that these people in a, that the that the you know not all but most of the people in hollywood have zero idea of what the ideas of the american people are zero idea as to what the conscience of the of the country is and they're completely out of touch with mainstream thought completely out of touch yet they want to lecture everybody else as to what the proper thought is yeah no they're definitely i mean this is all hollywood has been and it, it's about time that somebody called them out for it. And it took Ricky Gervais with beer in hand at the Golden Globes to do it. Um, and props to him. That was that was, uh, was was quite good. And then, um, you know, of course, they still went up and they've still lectured. I think one of my favorite parts uh, wasn't actually in the clip, but it was right before the last award was given. And then Ricky Gervais comes up. And his beer is almost empty at this point. I don't know how many drinks he's had, but he's up there and he goes, all right, guys, we got like one more and then we can all go home. <laughs> he's like, so let's get this over with. <laughs> I didn't and see it was, that um, Oh, no, yeah, that, he's, he said that right at the end. We were watching, um, I don't remember what we were watching. I was watching something with my family. I think we were watching, um, we were watching some TV show. And then uh, we saw the Golden Globes were on, and we flicked them on right at the end. And uh, we, I saw that, and I was like, that's hilarious. That's awesome. And uh, the Jeffrey Epstein joke, too. I mean, look, he was their friend. I don't. Was that included in the uh, Washington Post clip? Yeah. I heard yeah. some of it, but I couldn't hear all of it. Yeah, yeah, he goes, he's like, you know, I, they're all moaning about the Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself joke. And he's like, oh, I know he was your friend. Because he was. <laughs> like, these people are all, you know, a lot of these people, there's just sex addiction, drug addiction, you know, awful, just it wasn't inc- terrible it, lifestyles. It wasn't and included they, and in they the tell all of us how to live. It wasn't included in the clip, but he said he said that all of you are afraid of Ronan Farrow, who works at I believe the New Yorker. New Yorker, he's the one that exposed the Harvey Weinstein scandal. <laughs> and it's very right. true. I mean, these oh. people have a lot of skeletons in their closet, and the fact that they right. can't laugh at themselves is. Ugh, I mean, talk about out of touch. <laughs> right. And then he was talking about um, Bird Box, how like uh, they all have to wear blindfolds to survive. He goes just like working for Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> yeah. um, like, I don't know. He just he really gave it to him good. And it was it was definitely enjoyable, and, an enjoyable bit. And of course, did. Twitter erupted afterwards. Um, Ricky Gervais was labeled the right winger. Um, which is the funniest thing you could possibly think of if you know anything about Ricky Gervais in Britain. Yeah, he's, he's not he's, nowhere near. He, he is not a right winger <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. But, uh, I mean, come on, guys. 
you think you're smarter than that, but they can't help themselves. As soon as they start getting a little bit of controversy, little bit of pushback on um on some of the hypocritical things that come out of Hollywood, um, they 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 melt. And I think you said at the beginning that this is all Hollywood has been. That's kind of true, kind of not true. Hollywood used to be about making art, um, and then on top of that was you know. From the earliest time in Hollywood was institutions like the casting couch where you had, you know, directors exploiting specifically young actresses in order to get roles. But now the stuff that's coming out of Hollywood is garbage. I mean, no offense, Matt, but I agree with Martin Scorsese. Those Marvel movies are not cinema in Star Wars is along the same lines. I mean, it's fan service at this point. Well, it's fan service, but it's also, I mean, what is Hollywood for? Like, they have all these obscure films that I'd say you probably consider cinema. But it's like, I mean, I consider all films cinema because that's what it is. What about porn? Cinema. Okay, that isn't a film. Hey, that's a film. Uh, what, what do you mean? The old stuff was shot oh, on, uh, on on Super 8. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. You know what I mean. Like, if you go to the movie theater to see something, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you don't movies. think people go to the movies like to go Netflix, see porn? Netflix. Whatever, like you, know you ever heard of a movie about. house? <laughs> like, like if you if you go to see if you go to see um, Star Wars at the movie theater, you're going to see cinema, and like if you go to the movie theater to see um, uh, whatever, you know what? It's just it's it's this hoity-toity idea that like hoity-toity. cinema needs to be um, like deep in some way where it doesn't in star wars especially the original star wars maybe not the disney trilogy because disney trilogy was um a disaster i would say i like it but i still think it was a disaster it doesn't have to be um, necessarily deep it just has to be original like uh, comedies okay, for instance are not deep. original it's like, not original you're doing the star same wars? thing the you... original star wars are they the flying or are they flying we're not talking about the original star wars we're talking about the latest one i'm talking about star wars as a series and absolutely i didn't say the first, the first i didn't say the first movie wasn't cinema i'm saying that the latest thing where it's just a retread of the same thing over and over oh my god we're going to get the bad guys let me see your lightsaber Boom, it's purple. Oh, my God. The crowd goes wild. And, oh, is this Princess Leia or something? Blah, 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 blah. They're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. There's nothing new about the movies. Like, there's nothing new except you introduce one character. Oh, I love Kylo Ren. Like, it's the same thing over and over and over again. They built a universe. They built a universe in the first three movies. And the first three movies are undisputably So so did the Magic Treehouse. Uh, Is that literature? But Yeah. (laughs) It's children's literature. <laughs> children's literature. It's it's. I but, mean, so the, the first three movies, the first three movies without a doubt, you haven't even seen any of them. But the first three movies, I've seen a, a good, I've good, cinema. I've seen a good portion of the first movie. Okay. Yeah. It is. It's very good. It was made for children. It's not. <laughs> it was it made was, for children. It was, it was record. It was when it came out. It was a record-breaking movie. So was Avatar. Yeah, and Avatar wasn't for children. Avatar was a, a movie for all ages. Avatar was terrible, is what I'm saying, though. Like, in, I didn't like Avatar. <laughs> Avatar was to bizarre. Be fair. Yeah, Av- Avatar was garbage, but I do think that <laughs> Star Wars is good, and I enjoy it. But I, you don't have to, you don't have to take a dump on all Star Wars fans. Be like, oh, your movie isn't isn't cinema. It's just I'm not taking a dump on Star Wars it. fans. I'm taking a dump on the people who make Star Wars. But last thought, we're way over time on this segment. <laughs> 
Last thought. On, I don't know. Okay. The future face is funny. Last thought. There you go. <laughs> All right. So we're moving on to a discussion of the state of conservatism. I'm going to read you a line from the recent uh, a recent article published in the Atlantic, um, coming from Princeton. Here, oh, dang it, I just lost it because I scrolled up. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, come on. Here it is. All right. In recent years, conservative thinkers and writers have debated a question among themselves. Has American culture been so thoroughly captured by progressives that retreat from mainstream life is the only sensible path forward? Some conservatives have taken Trump as a counterpoint to this argument, interpreting his election as the beginning of a long-term right-wing pushback against the dominant political order. Those who find themselves somewhere between, however, want neither a full retreat from nor a full concession to the Trumpian way of politics, don't necessarily have a clear path forward. So, do is this the only path forward, a retreat from mainstream life, or is something like the Trump effect a signal that we have a chance to win the culture? Um, or that we're winning the culture more specifically? Uh, we're, conservatives are, I'm sorry, conservatives are not winning the culture war at the moment. I mean, you look, look, I mean, all you have to do is look at cancel culture to know that we're not. And, and I think that it's going to be a while before we start to turn the tides. And, you know, things like the Ricky Gervais bit are, are hopeful because it is um, a pushback to that progressive leftist mentality that Hollywood has. I mean, that's what it was. Because I wouldn't say Ricky Gervais is a uh, leftist. He's not more, in any regard, I, no. He's not really anything. He's kind of his own thing. But, I mean, the acceptance and the popularization of his what he did is, you know, it's hopeful. But just because that happened doesn't mean that we're winning back the culture. I mean, we're seeing more and more all of these different things that are happening that progressives are, you know, we're, are pushing all of these different things back. So like, it's not acceptable to say, oh, I support traditional marriage or um, I'm pro-life, you know? Um, on just the question for of, example, sorry to interrupt, but oh, on sorry. the question of Trump, is he contributing to the conservative cause of taking back the culture or hurting it? Um, he's, he's probably hurting it because he gives the left wing something to rally behind and he's not very good at helping himself. Um, he, he's just not very, he shoots himself in the foot a lot. And if he didn't do that, I think he'd be better, um, at what he wants to do. But you know, where we're at right now, Trump, See? Trump isn't, isn't, good at doing what needs to be done to start to turn the tides back. I'm going to be even um, more pessimistic. I think that he is the worst thing to happen to the culture wars on the right in the past probably 50 years. And here's why. Um, for Since the beginning of the Republican Party, I'd argue, Republicans cared about one thing above the rest. Uh, not not Republicans, but conservatism, In when it came to leadership, prided one thing above the rest, and that was character. And what you're seeing on the right now, and it's quite frustrating to me, and I'm sure it's frustrating to you, is people who for years, going back to the Clinton impeachment and for months and months in the 2016, lead up to the 2016 election, refused to give any ground when it came to character of a leader. Um, we 
as a movement supported the impeachment of uh, Bill Clinton, not only for him lying to Congress, but for him abusing his power and demonstrating that he had some of the worst character that we've seen from a president in having sex with an intern in the Oval Office. And now conservatives have rallied, I use conservatives loosely in that situation, have rallied behind a man that is a thrice-divorced philanderer who openly brags about sleeping with porn stars. And on top of that, we are engaging in the same tribal politics that is absolutely destroying our country right now. And that is a direct result of people on the right driving themselves crazy enough to vote for a guy like Trump. Now, you can argue whether that's 50% the right's fault, 50% the left's fault. But if you're going to hold yourself accountable, if you want to hold yourself accountable as a movement, if you want to feel, if you want to seem like you are actually being consistent in what you believe and what you stand for, you have to hold everybody accountable. And the whole, you know, I'm not going to get into it, but the whole impeachment hearings and the entire impeachment saga has really opened my eyes to this and I've become a lot more cynical or pessimistic about what the future of conservatism is. I I don't know how in 20 years a party that has sold its soul just as much as the Democrats are going is going to be able to run on anything besides an anti-left agenda. And that's not what we need in this country. We need people to actually stand up and fight for conservative values, not just fight against the left. And that's what Trump is. He's a, he's a vote against the left. And that's okay for a short-term, you know, if, if that's what you want to do, to vote against the lesser of two evils. But you still have to acknowledge that the other evil is evil. So I, I'm just concerned for what the long-term future is here. Yeah, I think that we have to make this decision. Um, it's not going to happen this cycle, obviously. Like Trump is our only option for the Republicans, um, either Trump or, or abstaining. But uh, the the real choice and the real moment of truth is going to come during the primary for the 2024 election. I think that's it. Like we, for that election, when the primary comes, we can either pick someone who is Trumpian or we can try to actually move in an intellectual in a uh, in a smart direction that a non, a non, to be intellectual. A mean, non-tribal direction is all that I would right, want. Non-tribal direction. Something that a guy that we can get people to rally behind that people wouldn't normally rally behind like a Ronald Reagan type guy. And I just don't know who that is. I don't know if if there's anybody right now that is even like that, but I think what Trump has done and what this article has revealed is that the Republican Party of today has poisoned the well of conservatism, and conservatives have to decide, are they going to par- like partner with the Republican Party against all costs to fight the left, or are they going to break off from what the Republican Party has become and retreat back into what conservatism actually is? I hope that they choose the latter. Um and they don't become so obsessed with beating the left, although it's it's a real concern that they, they win and institute some of these policies that they're talking about. I hope they don't try so hard to beat the left that they end up destroying, if they haven't already destroyed, what the conservative ideology and what the conservative movement actually is. So let's move on now. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, that um, on top of this disturbing poll, the most preferred choice for Republicans in 2024 besides Mike Pence is Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> um, 
That makes me incredibly sad. <laughs> yep. But uh, we'll see. I like look, look. I like Mike Pence, and I would be fine with Mike Pence presidency because he could kind of do his own thing. Yeah. Um, because right now he's got to stand behind Trump because that's what the vice president's supposed to do. Um, but if he could do his own thing, I think he'd do a good job because I think he's a lot more polished, got better policies. I think he's just like a, a much better package than Trump. I don't know. I but, I, um, I kind of feel like he's ruined. Um, I don't think so, but I, Don Trump Jr. Oh man, if that happens, I don't think it will. Um, but if he was to run, oh, I would, I'd be very upset. It would be, it would be, a, it would be awful. And I think he would win, Matt. I, I, in the, I think he'd win the primary. Um, it's, it's not a good time, um, to be, you know, young and conservative when, uh, the whole party's moving in a direction that you don't want it to be. But the title of the Atlantic article was "It's a Weird Time to Be Young and Conservative." So I think it's, I think that's pretty true. But this poll here from from Market Watch, or was it from Market Watch? Yeah, it was from Market Watch. So seventy percent of millennials uh, say they are likely to vote socialist. One third of millennials have a positive view of communism. Not of socialism, of communism. Those same people polled the biggest threat to world peace. Number one at 27% was President Trump. He beat out Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin as the biggest threat to world peace. I mean, if that's not evidence that we've sailed the boat down the river when it comes to recruiting young people, I don't know what is, Matt. Yeah, I don't know. It just makes me sad. Like, because they're not looking at the bigger picture. And they're not looking. Um, I was having a whole discussion about this the other day with a friend of mine. And we were talking about how this whole era of of human civilization, this whole, you know, the whole 21st century, and especially the recent few years, has really been marred by a a decline of meaning, a decline of purpose. Um, there is no, I, I, I'm reading uh, The Strange Death of Europe right now. I'm actually almost done with it. Uh, I'll, I might actually talk about this in the next segment, but um, one bit that really stuck out to me that like pertains to this a lot is when he starts talking about um, how our society has nothing to hold on to. And communism is a form of religion it is i mean that is it, it what that ideology calls for is a religious worship of the state um in in giving everything over to the state so it's just this whole meaningless place our society is at especially millennials and gen z um having a really hard time looking or finding meaning and then trying to fill that that gap with with communism yeah yeah um not i I, i'm i'm worried as well um it's just it's astounding to me that one third of millennials approve of communism not even socialism just outright communism um by the way he also beat out xi jinping the dictator of china and nicolas maduro in venezuela but um it's just are we ever, 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 ever going to have another moment in the history of this country like the 1980s or, you know, 
times before that where we had a cohesive um, body politic and we, we had shared values. When you have one-third of young people embracing communism, the ideology that led to the deaths of tens of millions of people worldwide, embracing that with open arms, how can you function as a society? You, you, you just can't. And I, I, I do think it has something to do with the, the way the Republican Party specifically and the, specifically from the last, you know, five, six years or so, has embraced the tribal politics of the left. And I, I don't think we can survive if we continue to embrace those types of tactics. Um, so I, I'm just deeply concerned about that. Uh, last thoughts, and then we're going to debut the first, the first segment, the first new segment um, of this new time frame on the show. Yeah, I, I I just think that it is incredibly sad um, at the direction we're going, and I think the only hope is that um, is that the our you know our generation um, Gen Z and millennials um, we're kind of right on the cusp. Uh, we could be considered, I guess, in either one. But I think we're, we're more Gen, Gen we're Z. We're Gen Zers. By the way, that either of those gen, uh, generations just start to come around. Um, I know that most young generations are more liberal or more are more left wing. Um, and it's just going to be if we can have a movement where we can bring a lot of these people around, but that's, it's looking unlikely. Yep. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I worry that we tethered our, our anchor to the wrong thing. So we're debuting a new sec new segment on this show called what you're looking at. We're going to talk about what we read, watched or listened over the past weekend, um, every Tuesday. So Matt, read, watch or listen to anything interesting this weekend. Um, so I actually am almost done with Strange Death of Europe um, by Douglas Murray. Uh, actually, an incredible, it's, it's so good. It is probably one of my favorite um, nonfiction books that I've read in a while. Um, really, really, really well written. Um, presents a lot of good um, points about the problems with the current uh, European policy of kind of unfettered I guess it's not it's not the current policy anymore. The book's a little a little dated now um, by a couple of years, but I mean it's still a problem, and it's 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 this problem of unfettered migration into the European continent, and the and the lack of convictions by anyone here to either do anything or hold their culture up as a pariah to say, hey, this is what I believe in, and this is you know, the Europe doesn't have that, and I would say to an extent the United States doesn't have that either. I, I also read that book. I read that book last year. Um, I thought it was phenomenal, and I hope I hope you can get some good insight as to what is actually happening in Europe while you're spending some time over there as well. Yeah, no, I I, I hope so too. Um, and then I, I want to add one more thing. Uh, sure. I saw Star keep, Wars. Keep it quick. I, I liked it a lot. Oh, <laughs> okay. There you go. All right. So this weekend, um, I have been keeping up with Jeopardy Goat, the greatest of all time. They're having a tournament between Ken Jennings, James Holtzhauer, and Brad Rutter. Um, that is the longest winning streak on Jeopardy, the highest single-day winnings, like the James Holtzhauer holds the top 16 for highest, uh, top 16 days for highest single-day winnings, and Brad Rutter is the most money all-time one on Jeopardy. This is just a quick clip from one of the games. It's very cordial compared to other, other uh, tournaments that they've held. 19 New York Times article says this two-word phrase marks the end of friendly generational relations. And I get to say it to Alex. What is OK Boomer? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So there's Ken okay, Jennings, OK, OK Boomering, Alex Trebek. And uh, 
it's on tonight and um, the rest of the week. Very good. Very. If you like Jeopardy, these questions are insanely hard. Um, but good to see all three guys uh, out there. Ken Jennings is winning two games to one against Holt Tower. Brad Rutter has zero. Has really struggled. And on top of that, go out and watch um, Political Juice on YouTube. He has an hour and a half long video. It's a, set, a five part series, I think it is, called "The Importance of a Civil Society." Extremely well researched. Oh, I saw the. I saw the first 18 minutes of that today. Yeah, extremely well researched and um, a, a, a must watch for anybody that's concerned about what the heck is going on in um, in in this world. So that's going to be it for today, um, Matt. Bienvenidos a, a, a España y vamos a hablar más durante este semestre. Okay. Uh, yo no comprendo. Uh, <laughs> no hablo español. Uh... Adios. <laughs> Adios. All right. Good. Uh, we'll we'll have this up in a few um, hours or so up on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So make sure you give us a like um, on our Facebook and on our Instagram and Twitter as well. well we don't have a Facebook. We don't have a Facebook because <laughs> we're not 95 years old. But subscribe to us on all those platforms and leave a review as well. Thank you for listening, everybody. And we will see you on Thursday. Yeah. New time.